0: What's up, y'all? And welcome back to the Black Health Podcast. My name is Marcilla. I'm Khadija. I'm Paula.
1: Hey, y'all. I'm Matthew.
0: And today we are back with our first podcast of the new year. You know, Mm -hmm. getting a little late start, but it's okay because the whole squad. Let's get it (laughs) together again. Welcome back, Paula. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we have to always get started with an icebreaker. So, since this is our first podcast of the new year, I want to ask you all what are your guiding themes or theme for this year? And let's start with Paula. Okay. (laughs) You saw I was ready.
2: So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so yeah, like lately we were talking about this mercy lately. I've been thinking about like just when I have situations with people or whatever and it's like giving me a bad feeling or giving me the ick or whatever it is, like I'm learning to like trust my gut mm-hmm. and to not like um, convince myself that I'm wrong for not liking something and just being like how I feel is how I feel. That's my theme for 2023 It's like mm-hmm. I believe in myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i trust myself and so if something doesn't feel right to me i'm gonna just go with that i'm gonna lean into that actually um and not yeah try to like Talk myself out of anything because every time I've done that, that's how I end up in worse and worse situations. So mm-hmm. <laughs> just cut it short. So you be knowing, yeah, exactly. Does it work
1: the opposite way too with things that you like and trusting that you yeah, like those things? Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So things that I really like, I'm gonna be like, I'm also gonna lean into that. So just like, yeah, like how I feel, I'm gonna like honor that, like kind of in the first feeling. I'm not gonna stick around trying to convince myself or figure out more whatever it just is what it is like yeah i am 31 i'd be, forgetting. Sure? I'm <laughs> <laughs> be forgetting. but yeah i'm going into 32 <laughs> this year and i just feel like after 30 plus years of experience with life like i know what works for me and what mm-hmm. doesn't so yeah that's
0: real um, <laughs> so the clarity like that that
3: comes in your
2: 30s yeah exactly
3: uh, plus that black woman intuition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. never never it. failed me <laughs> never.
1: <laughs> and never wrong how about you marcella
0: um so i think my theme has been like purpose so i feel like this year you know we are growing as an organization with pretty much all of us full time now so haha if y'all didn't know we all full time now yep so (laughs) just that and like like okay now like what does that mean now like Mm -hmm now that we have that capacity and just in general, just other parts of my life, like just finding the purpose and the meaning and all of it and walking in that.
2: Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Walking in your purpose. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I, like like that. That. <laughs> I don't know. It feels nice. It's cool. A little yeah. scary, but you know, I like it.
1: Yeah. I remember when you were taking the jump in the full time, uh, you got a lot of, Yes. Nerves around that, yeah. Um, but glad you're feeling a bit more settled in it. I don't know if you are, but it seems like you are.
0: Yeah, I'm getting there. You know, I'm figuring out a routine, things that work. Yeah. I love it. I feel like this is how life should be. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, like after I got the initial panic of like, oh my god, I'm not up and working at nine a.m. Yeah, I was like, oh, because I don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I did
2: kind <laughs> of experience that too. Like, you know, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, oh my god. <laughs> And then, Man. kind of like that stress that you get, like, oh, there's a boss I gotta respond to. So, like, you kind of used to like having nerves, like, mm-hmm. oh, somebody might hit me up on Teams, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, yeah. those little dreading that ping, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I'd be yeah. like, no, it's cool. Like, I like when my colleagues hit me up, now. right? <laughs> it's like, y'all. oh,
0: yeah, it's y'all. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just really having a conversation. And then I feel like we talk about like work, and then we talk about other stuff, and then we transition back into mm-hmm. work. So it's just like, what are we doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can get with me. It's like
1: this. <laughs> what about you, Matthew? It's discipline, like it is every year. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> I don't know. You know. I think I try not to like subscribe to the like elevation. I'm always trying to get better mm-hmm, type mm-hmm. type thing. But I think for me, um, it's like refinement. Like, I just want to really get good. the things that I'm good at, I want to get better at them. Um, I don't necessarily need to like add on new skills or always trying mm-hmm. to like mm-hmm. expand myself. But, <clears throat> you know, the things that are important to me, I want to be there for them. I want to show up for them. Um, yeah, just, you know, yeah, be like better.
0: Refinement. I like it. Yeah. Becoming a master at what you're already good at.
1: I like the mm-hmm. mastery. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you like the master. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded a little strange. It is. It's <laughs> okay. it's okay. I do like the framing of like refinement honestly more. Yeah. Well, refinement as like discipline because I feel like with discipline that can get very caught up in like capitalism and sure. like, mm-hmm. yeah. just like it it's could like be it can turn make... negative very, very yeah. fast yeah. like cultured. a rat yeah, a rat yeah. race. So, but I do like kind of that refinement and getting just improving
1: yeah, trying to be a better runner, better person, better co-worker, all of those things.
0: Oh, you go, Matthew.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> How about you, Khadijah? Um, I
3: would say um, kindness to myself okay. and grace to myself and others. <laughs> so, mine, <laughs> I feel like for me, if I set a goal, like discipline... I, that would, like, put, like, too much pressure on myself. So I feel like for me, like, setting the opposite. I'm not sure if, like, not, that's I not the, the opposite. opposite yeah. But just something that just taking pressure off myself. Yeah. Um, because I feel like I can get very caught up in, like, perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And, like, constantly feeling like I'm not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like, I can't do, be doing more. So I feel like um, just being kind to myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's important uh, yeah to yeah. <laughs> yourself yeah.
2: yeah. would you describe yourself as like a type a
3: personality um i sometimes yes mm-hmm. it's yeah i i think for for like the like professional like academic side of oh, myself sure. i can very much be that but i'm trying to fight against that mm-hmm. cuz i really don't i don't i don't like that cuz i do feel like that's kind of caught up in like capitalism and -hmm. all that stuff Mm yeah hustle culture Mm -hmm.
4: yeah
1: yeah that's good that's important i'm glad to hear that grace Mm -hmm. and kindness to yourself is top of the list i think it's important for everybody to really forgive themselves Mm -hmm. um but it's Mm -hmm. hard it's a hard thing to do for sure
0: but can't worry about the shoulda coulda woulda (laughs) Mm -hmm. what ifs maybes We all just hear (laughs) for (laughs) sure. So, Paula, I know you have a great discussion you wanted to read today.
2: Yeah, so this topic is really interesting. Um, Basically, I saw a tweet online that was about how there's been, like, a rise in cancers in young people. And um, it was just, like, a whole thread. Um, The guy, like, uh, his Twitter handle is Nate Bear or Nate B underscore panic. And so he had this whole thread about cancers being on the rise and just some other different stuff, some articles that were linked in the thread. And I just wanted to like kind of go through that because when I I sent it to the group, just kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Y'all should read this thread. And then uh, Obviously, it relates to like some of the work that we're doing. So I sent it to the group and then Mercy was like, oh, we should talk about this on our next podcast. And I was like, oh, yeah, we should. (laughs) That's a great idea. (laughs) It's it's a lot. Like, I think it's a lot like to get into with it, like a lot of different perspectives we can add to it. So just to kind of like go into a little bit of like what the Twitter thread was about and then the articles as well. There's two articles um, that I found some like just interesting little things I want to talk through. So basically like the first, um, study, it was, um, a study from Brigham and Women's Hospital. And it was basically like a very long, I forgot the years, but it was a long study that they did like a lot of different, um, data points, different people's data that showed that cancer is on the rise amongst, um, people younger than age 50. So kind of like younger people. And, um, on top of that, what they saw too was that the risk for a new cancer uh, diagnosis is increasing with each like successive generation. Mm-hmm. So basically, like if you were born in 1960, you have a higher risk of getting cancer um, under the age of 50 than um, someone who was born in 1950. Sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, I said 60. So yeah. But it's like that for like every like decade basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the study also talked a bit about like, kind of like what, why that might be. And they were hypothesizing that it's like related to like lifestyle factors, like we often hear about and know and like Western, like lifestyle diet and culture, um, and things like, uh, smoking, alcohol consumption, like those things have kind of been on the rise too, um, since like the, the data that they started with. Um, so I think they were kind of looking at like the 1950s um, to like 2015 or something. Mm -hmm. And so just obviously since like the fifties, like Mm -hmm. a lot of these, like sedentary lifestyles, like that kind of stuff has been on the rise. It's more common. Mm -hmm. Oh, and they were also some, they found some data that showed that like this, this like rise has been, um, it was, you saw it really steeply happen and then start happening in the nineties. Um, and Mm -hmm. since then, um, each new decade has a higher um, risk of being diagnosed with cancer at a young age. So, yeah, so I wanted to, like, talk about that a little bit. Um, So, like, the part about, like, the lifestyle factors, I think that for me, when I was reading it, I was kind of like, I think we can go a little deeper than this. (laughs) Like, it just being about smoking and um, people not eating healthy. Of course, they said obesity. Mm -hmm. Um... (laughs) Uh, Should I keep going? OK, so, so like, of course, they said obesity, um, alcohol consumption, all that kind of smoking. I think I said that already. But yeah, but like individual behaviors, basically. So um, and then they were saying like other like comorbidities, um, like type two diabetes um, is something that's related to a higher risk of cancer as well. And that's also been on the rise. Um, But yeah, so like I said, I think there's a little bit is a reason that those things are on the rise um, as well. So talking a little bit about a bit more about like higher level reasons for that. Um, and then the next um, study or article that uh, the guy that whose tweet I initially saw his thread that was linked, that was also like super interesting. It says something very similar, but um, it was basically the stat was that 30, there's um, the researchers from Penn State, um, they found a 30% increase in cancer diagnoses for people age 15 to 39. Um, And the time period that they were looking at for that 30 percent increase was between 1973 and 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. And so then this article talks about how being diagnosed with cancer at a younger age brings up like kind of specific issues that are different than like when an older person is diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. versus a younger person, because when you're. I mean, between 15 to 39, I mean, you know, like, that's the age group that we're in. And so that's when you have career changes, like you're starting your career, you're doing a lot of like, different things in life to kind of like help build yourself and establish yourself. Um, And so to get a cancer diagnosis somewhere in that um, time period really can change the trajectory Mm -hmm. of your life. So Mm -hmm. Um, like financial stability. And we know that like medical debt is like one of the biggest reasons people go into poverty, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, if you get a very serious diagnosis like this, that's affecting your whole like wealth building and income opportunities. You might not be able to work, you know, for a long time, things like that. So it's quite interesting, like, to get diagnosed like this at a very pivotal point in your life. Um, Yeah. And then the other thing too is like, Uh, most young a lot of young people don't have health insurance you know so like that's also contributing to like why you could be more likely to get into debt um, and it just like totally derailing your um, your financial stability and economic stability which is a social determinant of health Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, and then as well then um, when you're younger younger people are more likely to survive um, cancer but then they have obviously an increased risk of like those long-term effects because they have more kind of like of their life left. So it's things like more likely to get heart disease. And then um, I also found this one interesting, like then you have this increased um, potential like fertility issues. Yeah. yeah. And I I mean, I could talk about like a personal, like kind of like someone in my family who similar, like, yeah. And then like getting cancer, like later in life, Mm -hmm. obviously your risk for that increases. So yeah, so I thought this was interesting too, and I was thinking about how, like, I have a very huge family, as y'all know, and I always talk about. And so, whenever we talk about issues with Black people, it's always somebody in my family who is dealing with it, and like a lot of times, multiple people, because it's like, yeah, I'm I'm every Black person, like y'all all related to me basically, right. yeah. like. So yeah, like I have a cousin who's in their thirties and just got like diagnosed with cancer dealing with like cancer. And then, you know, it's like, it's like so much like these things I'm like, Oh, I'm really like seeing this happening, like play out in real life for black folks. Um, oh. And then the other thing about this second study that I wanted to mention real quick was that, um, the study included 500,000 people, 80% of the participants were white. Oh, and no. so, <laughs> yeah, so like they were kind of talking about, like the article I was reading was talking about how like that is pointing to how black people do not, or people of color, you know, non-white people do not have access to um, health insurance and then are not getting, that's why they're not linked into like this research. Mm. But then that is also a huge issue, like more broadly for the topic that we're talking about, because- that's showing like, obviously cancer is on the rise for those people as well, mm-hmm. but now they're not getting diagnosed probably, or they're getting yeah. diagnosed at much later stages, mm-hmm. um, you which know, which we know happens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I said all that to just say like, that's kind of the topic for today. Um, and then particularly like kind of dissecting, like, what does this mean for black people? You know, um, like, so this is research. This is actually globally. It's showing like mm-hmm. these cancers are on the rise for younger folks. Um, but I think, you know, what we always try to do is have a perspective where we talk about what it means for our specific communities that we belong to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so I kind of want to start off and just kind of pose a question to Matthew um, as really like our front man, and our lead for our good down there colorectal cancer program. So we have this program. Um, it's a partnership with Cottonell. It's called um, Good Down There. And what it aims to do is to increase the number of Black Americans who um, get screened for colorectal cancer and to just provide like education and resources around the disparities. Um, and so I went to ask Matthew, just kind of like with that whole subject, cancers being on the rise and younger folks, like, what is, what stands out to you, like, in relation to, like, your experiences, like, really, like, working hands-on with this program, like, some of the things that you've observed over the last, you know, years that we've been doing this?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, a lot, a lot that I've seen, a lot that I've observed from working with communities, um, but I think before I get there, I would love to touch on, um, we talked about sort of the increase over time, um, and I've you know, been thinking a lot more about marketing and how marketing has an impact on behaviors, right? We talk mm-hmm. about an increase of smoking, increase of alcohol consumption. Um, I think there's one side where people are going to devices due to stress, mm-hmm. uh, but I think, I mean, it's been shown in evidence that advertisers are marketing in our communities these um, cigarettes, mm. um, alcohol, yeah. and, and like low-grade alcohol as well. Um, and I think that has a direct impact on consumption. And I think we have to really think about and, and hold advertisers, companies accountable on how they market to our people, um, mm-hmm. given the impacts that we know these, these products have. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that before going into the Get Down Absolutely. There program and, and see if there are any, uh, any additional thoughts on on advertising and the role that that has on our, on our health.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, we like, I remember seeing Newport ads, yeah. like <laughs> in black magazines, and they always look cool. Like, I was like, damn, I kind of want to smoke a Newport. <laughs> 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 and like, even like the Hennessy ads, like, I yeah, remember, like, home. this once, like, he coming to the dough with Hennessy, and like, a great night starts with Hennessy. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, so it is and then even like when you're in the neighborhoods like you can always tell when you're in a black neighborhood right cuz there's just certain marketing that you see yep. that you don't see when you go to Brookhaven
4: right <laughs> or
0: you go over by Emory's campus so i definitely think is it's not even subtle
1: yeah so and brookhaven and emory are neighborhoods white affluent neighborhoods in our city for those mm-hmm. who may not know absolutely um but yeah, you know, I, I think I think that's really interesting. Individual behaviors live within the context of our environments, and it's really important to always point that out. But yeah, as far as the Good Down There Coke uh, campaign you know, what I've seen really falls into two categories. One is like cancer prevention, um, and then two is early detection, mm-hmm. right? And so when we think about cancer prevention, we're talking about all those things you mentioned earlier, those social determinants of health. Um, and it's actually funny, I was um, at an event, I say an event, I was at the White House. <laughs> <laughs> stop
2: stop downplaying it, please. As soon as you said event, I was like, this man better not be talking about being at the White right. House. <laughs> I did this I was trying to thing.
1: do better. I My uncle hit me up, he was like, why am I just finding out about this two hours before you're about to be at the White House? Right. Like, I'm sorry, man. Um, but yeah, so, I need so to. Too humble, McCarty. Um, I apologize. But so, was at the White House, people were talking about sort of the, the determinants of health. Um And this woman, um, she was talking about food behaviors and eating behaviors mm-hmm. um, and just saying, you know, people choosing high fat content foods, processed foods. We need to work on teaching people how to eat healthier. Um, and I was just like, that's just so ignorant to me. Right. Like, mm-hmm. again, our behaviors exist within the context of our environments. Right. And so when we talk about cancer prevention, yes, there are um, <clears throat> correlations between your diet. And developing cancer, but we know that Black people tend to live in food deserts, where, and and mm-hmm. I've been trying to use actually the term food swamps a little bit more. So yeah. places where mm-hmm. there's high highly concentrated areas of unhealthy food, mm-hmm. right? And so you have your fast foods, you have your corner stores, and and you know a lack of access to mm-hmm. to produce, liquor stores included. Um, and those are areas where we're seeing higher rates of cancer mm-hmm. um, as well. And so it's not that I just like to eat unhealthy it's like that's what's in my community that's what's easy for me um, yeah. and so we are we are seeing those correlations as well you know i think about other determinants like poverty like i think about our organization in dc that we work with so others might eat and they're dealing with an unhoused population
4: mm-hmm.
1: and so folks who are sort of transient not being able to always have access to social services To screening. um, And we know that poverty is also a leading indicator for someone having a cancer diagnosis. Um, And so when we, again, we want to think about the context in which people live um, in their neighborhoods, the quality of their neighborhoods as it relates to our cancer outcomes. And so when we want to think about prevention, the framing that I I like, um, that I've been reading about is all health for all people. Mm. And so if we're thinking about food access, housing as the social determinants of health we need to think about them as health care mm-hmm. as well and so we need to be mm-hmm. providing food we need to be providing housing for people mm-hmm. and so I, I really like that frame it's actually in this book called health communism that i'm reading that oh, i recommend okay. um, <clears throat> about how we think about health care and health delivery um, and then we have you know when we think again about exposures that direct exposure i know Mercy's going to talk about this a little later but when we think about toxins in our environment our proximity Um, to chemical plants and things like that. Um, Removing people from those situations would be a a great way for cancer prevention. Um, And then that second bucket that I think is really important is screening and early detection. And so we know that if we can find a polyp before it turns cancerous, uh, we can remove the polyp and essentially stop someone from developing colorectal cancer. Um, so, just a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, uh, which is which has been really surprising to see as we go out and talk to people, they don't know when they should be screened. And right now, the screening age is forty-five um, for for people who are at normal risk. I would say that Black people are no longer should no longer consider themselves normal risk. Yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah. We see higher rates in our in, in our communities, and so you know we. Yeah, you're right. At younger ages. Yeah. <laughs> so we we kind of don't listen to those guidelines. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they and, not us. Yeah, we and so like we'll give and distribute, you know, a, a screening, a stool-based screening test. Um, you know, I think to folks who, who and allow folks to assess their own risk, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you think you need this? Is there a history in your family? Have you noticed a change? And we'll allow people to take that stool-based test home with them. Uh, if they want to, and I think I think that's really key is giving that knowledge, but also giving them people the, the tools mm-hmm. to then screen themselves. Um, and I think, lastly, when we think about early detection, we really want to think about access to quality healthcare. care mm-hmm. right? and, and people some, sometimes separate those two. But I think access and quality really have to go together, mm-hmm.
2: right? for sure, right?
1: Yeah. And so when we think about um, Trap Medicine, our organization in LA, our partner in LA, you know, they're really thinking about access and access to information, providing community-based settings for people to get services. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, they go to barber shops and other places and distribute the health information. Um, but we know that having access to a healthcare provider um, is really important. We know that our communities, they're closing down. They're not there, you know. We just don't don't even have the proximity to those, and so that, that I think that in a sense is also having us having us have a higher incidence of of cancer and seeing it in younger people as well. Um, and then to think to also talk about here in Georgia, I know Wellstar's been getting a bad rap lately because they closed down Atlanta Atlanta Medical Center, and they mm. deserve it. Um, mm. But I think they've also <laughs> done a great job in our rural communities.
2: Okay,
1: um, when we think about. Um, One, folks not trusting healthcare systems. They've developed a lot of key role partners that they can go to. They can distribute and, you know, they'll put the Wellstar name on it. But, you know, I think going to people, being in communities is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know that, you know, in Georgia and, you know, black communities in L.A., Houston, uh, Detroit, Philadelphia, where a, a lot of our community partners are. Uh, we're seeing a lack of access and a lack of information and our programs really designed to meet those needs.
2: Yeah. You see it in how like surprised and excited people are and, like just yep. get the screening kit, like
0: I'm like y'all giving this away, it's free. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have yeah. to pay for this. It's like, no, right. take it. Please. It's
4: like, yeah. yeah, we care about you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're not charging you for this. Yeah. Right.
1: yeah. Yeah. People will be surprised at, you know, the resource, but also the information. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know that. I should be on screen. Oh, I knew I was, I was supposed to get a colonoscopy. And that's actually the funny thing too. We'll be there talking about colon, uh, colorectal cancer and people will be like, oh, it's time for me to get my colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. Like I've been mm-hmm. putting it off. I know I should yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we're also able to promote our fund to to have people, uh, people get their colonoscopies uh, paid off or paid for. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting to see, you know, colorectal cancer is, is sort of within, you know, it's probably, I think it's the leading, Uh, cancer deaths,
4: um,
1: up there. I think it's really, I think it is number one. Um, and so yeah, one or two, um, but we, the information has to get out there. Um, and I think our program has done a a really good job of giving both quality information, but also a resource. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I was thinking about what you were saying earlier, um, just about how like people are framing, like, you know, People need to eat healthier. Like black communities, mm-hmm. what was the the plate <laughs> debacle like? Oh, um, um, <laughs> low vibrational plates. Low vibrational wow. plates. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, yes, exactly. That's so. <laughs> All of that mm-hmm. conversation and stuff, like, yeah. And just, like, that, like, belief system or just, like, sentiment in our communities a lot of times coming from, like, our leaders, yeah. people who are on panels at the White House mm-hmm. are saying things like this. And so I just really want to urge, like, other Black people with any kind of position, a, a soapbox you're standing on, anything, like, when you are addressing, like, our communities about this like, let's reframe that to how do we get access mm-hmm. to healthier foods and better foods for us? Mm-hmm. Like, and I just think just changing, because obviously, yes, eating things that are good for you are, are not full of um, processed fats and sugars and all of those things. Like, we're not like necessarily like trying to debate like that science that like there are foods that make you more at risk for certain negative health outcomes. Mm-hmm. The issue is how we're framing the solution. Like the solution is not you need to stop eating that. We really need to be talking more about the bigger problem, the problem, the problem that's going to have the biggest impact for the most people if it's solved, Mm -hmm. which is that how do we make sure fresh foods are readily available in our neighborhoods and Mm -hmm. easy to get to, You know, and there are systems in place, support services in place that people can prepare healthy and fresh meals Mm -hmm. that are good for them and their family and taste good and respond to, you know, aligned with their um, cultural um, traditions Mm -hmm. and beliefs around food as well. Mm Um, there's lots of like really healthy soul food dishes. Like, yeah. so we need to stop framing soul food as like it's being bad. like yeah, it's inherently bad. Like, <laughs> like, common yeah.
0: are some of the healthiest grains <laughs> you can eat. They're <laughs> packed full of vitamins. Exactly.
2: So,
1: yeah, but that's yeah. all just racism, man. I think yeah. the idea black of like race. who deserves to have healthy food in their communities mm-hmm. and, you know, the stereotype that black people don't want to eat healthy also allows them to decide. Or to to say, you know, they don't actually want these in their neighborhood, right? Because right? yeah. they're not going to eat them. Yeah, they rather have unhealthy foods, and that's just yeah, we, that's something. We have to break, sorry to interrupt.
0: No, you're good. No, I was just going to add on to that, and it's like, and then like even part of that is healthy foods are usually way more expensive. So yeah. if you're putting these expensive places in communities where the average income for a household of four is thirty-two thousand, and then you got this place that's selling seventeen-dollar salads, right. and they trying to feed their whole family. If they can take $20, you can take $10 and go to Wendy's, mm-hmm. get you burgers, fries, <laughs> nuggets. Spicy, for everybody. Some spicy
1: nuggets.
0: Some spicy nuggets. <laughs> Listen, that 4 for 4 saved right. me right. many a night sometimes. delicious.
1: 5, five 4. four, four. <laughs> <laughs> so it's
3: like
0: not everybody it's got food. Yeah. Versus, okay, y'all, we got this one salad. Mm. <laughs> Like, like, let's be realistic, like people gonna make their money stretch, so yeah. we have to also make things imp part of access is affordability exactly. exactly. and so I have seen um gooder it's this company that's based out of Atlanta. I believe. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, they set up, like, a new mobile grocery store that oh. goes into communities and the groceries are free mm-hmm. and, like, had a whole bunch of stuff. So I thought that was cool. So programs like that are awesome. Yep. But, like, I mean, that's the only one I know of, for real.
1: Yeah, and it shouldn't take private industry to solve our problems. <laughs> exactly. Right, like, this is a function of, again, uh, social well-being that should be paid for.
4: hmm mm-hmm.
0: And kind of off topic, but a little on topic, and maybe like a little hotepish. But (laughs) I love all the copy I want to hear this now. (laughs) So, no, so I was like reading on the internet, and they were just talking about how, like, in America, have you noticed, like, There are no trees that just, like, grow fruit that are just, like, easily, like, on the street. Like, when you go to, like, other, like, Caribbean Mm. countries or things like that. And it's just, like, oh, you can just pull a mango off a tree or something. But they say, like, and then on top of that how like the pollen gets worse and worse every year Mm. and it's because they are planting more male trees instead of the female trees because they don't want the
1: (laughs) fruit berry trees
0: to provide people with free food because they want you to pay for the food. Exactly.
1: And they don't want to clean it off the streets.
0: They don't want to clean it off the (laughs) streets so they'd rather fuck up everybody with these seasonal allergies. Now we gotta go to Big Pharma and get all these allergy meds. Mm. But can't get no fresh fruit. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, let not follow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, that was very interesting. Uh-huh.
1: Don't give the hoteps credit for that. Okay. No. <laughs> right. I mean, I just had to, I had to thought in there. I didn't think it was
0: hotepi, but you know, sometimes y'all right. be telling me I'd be hotepi. So I
1: just had to put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> when you start off with, I read on the internet. You just I mean, never that's all You just never know where it's yeah. going down.
0: But I thought it made sense.
1: Yeah, but I know um you know we have been touching on some of these like cancer valleys and and cancer areas. Um so interested to 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 hear your thoughts on how those developed, why they developed and how it, racism. No. Yeah. But yeah, it's not really playing. Um
0: yeah, so I think that is, you know, again we talk people like to try to point to individual behaviors, but really we have to think of our lived environments. And so a couple of like they call them hot spots or cancer clusters but two prominent ones are the cancer belt that's like pretty much in like Houston, Texas and then cancer alley or the cancer belt that is um in Louisiana which is a stretch along the Mississippi River between Baton Rouge and New Orleans and basically and they're there like all around the South. They're um kind of in the Midwest as well. Mm-hmm. You'll see them. But it basically is just all of these industrial facilities that have set up in these communities and are emitting all these hazardous air pollutions. All this hazardous air pollution, which ironically, not by mistake or coincidence are in black and poor communities. No. Shock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? So shocking. Um so yeah, the EPA has identified more than a thousand of these hot spots in the US, um, some of which are also in Port Arthur, Texas, Laurel, Mississippi, Anniston, Alabama, which is right outside of Birmingham, and even here out here in Gainesville, Georgia.
4: Hmm.
0: Right. Really? Um, and so the EPA defines hot spots as areas where the additional c- cancer risk is greater than one in 100,000. So mm-hmm. that means that of 100,000 people living in the area, there's going to be one additional case of cancer per lifetime. So in these areas that are in Houston and Louisiana, the highest risk is one in 210. Jeez. That's wild. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's so, high. and these are, in there like, all different types of cancer, lung cancer, skin cancers, wow. throat cancers. <sighs> um, Because, obviously, you're inhaling this stuff, so it's all of your upper respiratory tract and the things you come in contact with in your skin. Because, at this point, it's in the air, it's in the soil, it's in the water. <laughs> and so, a lot of these communities... um people have been there for generations, um, like, especially like in Louisiana and like Mississippi, like a lot of the people who live there, like those used to be like plantations that they actually bought from like their owners. Mm-hmm. And so like literally generations. So it's like, and now because of the quality, even if they want it to move, they can't sell it because yeah. no one wants to buy it. Um, so they're kind of like stuck in these neighborhoods. So there's no Way for them to get around. A lot of them are employed by the factories mm-hmm. that are emitting all of these hazardous chemicals. Mm. And, this, you know, so a lot of community advocates, you know, are advocating for like the closure of these facilities because they're like, yo, you know, you see people all the time like, this person got diagnosed with cancer, this person died of cancer. Like, you know, so many people who die from cancer or have other issues. And, so advocating for these, but of course, corporations are just like um a literal quote from one. It says, It is believed that the social and economic benefits of the facility outweigh the environmental impacts.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so <laughs> we don't care if you guys are getting cash Exactly. And
0: like how are you making that calculation? Mm-hmm. How? Like you're trying to say that it's not related to your plant, but if y'all could see this map. We'll post it in the notes, but there you'll see like a cluster of where all of these facilities are. Mm-hmm. And in that radius of that cluster is where there's a wild increased risk of developing yeah. some form of cancer in your lifetime. Mm. And it's like, that's you can't tell me that's a coincidence that that has nothing to do with what y'all are emitting out into the environment and they just don't care they keep trying to build more in the same areas of course because the rich white neighborhoods are not going to let them put their industrial plants
4: right. out right. there
0: yeah. so they're like yeah keep it out there with the black folks the brown folks the poor folks because that environmental impact is worth it to them because our lives don't hold any value to them mm-hmm. and so that's just proves, that just points to the bigger issue that is, you know, people can decide what value our lives have and do what they need to do. So, because at the end of the day, they just see green money. Mm-hmm. So why would I ever cut off my money supply to protect these black folks? So, yeah. Yeah, not issue. only that, like,
1: <laughs> it's like, you know, I also know that I have, Power to maintain people working here mm-hmm. because I know there's not, not many other options in these communities, mm-hmm. right? And so <clears throat> the way that capitalism is designed is to, you know, keep you healthy enough yep. so you could work, yep. Um, yep. sick enough that you're reliant mm-hmm. upon us, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, so because
0: yeah. you got this job, so you got to keep your health insurance because you know you got that tumor,
1: <laughs> right? Because you, you know been... one out of two hundred and fifteen of y'all mm-hmm. gonna, get gonna get cancer. Um, so it's, it's wicked. It's cyclical. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really sad. But also, yeah. you know, I'll give a shout out to Change Happens in yeah. Houston, Um. The, one of our partners on our Get Down There campaign who are doing mm-hmm. a lot of this uh, cancer advocacy um, and screening work in the community, trying to get folks mm-hmm. the help that they need.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they, they were actually the first ones to kind of like bring the cancer belt, the, these different cancer clusters to our attention. Mm-hmm. So shout out to Change Happens.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no they're an awesome organization they do a lot of good work mm-hmm. no this issue is like so like
0: layered. so layered i'm over
2: here <laughs> yeah. just like letting it all sink in but like i was thinking about like gentrification and how mm-hmm. like that's a major mm-hmm. risk factor because you start pushing people out of neighborhoods nice neighborhoods neighborhoods where they have more access to public transportation and to get to services to mm-hmm. go to the doctor or get healthy foods if they need to get on a train to like go to a better store than the one that might be up the street. Like a lot of those kinds of things obviously are concentrated in major cities. Mm -hmm. um, But then once Black people can't afford to live in those major cities, they get pushed out to areas that are cancer belts, Mm -hmm. basically, you know? So it's like disappearing a population and Mm -hmm. disappearing like a problem for Mm -hmm. privileged people. But then other people are like really, really dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking about Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> <laughs> you, y'all, if y'all watch Handmaid's Tale, it's that one, um, uh, like part, like where they're like in that like, um, like, like polluted field that yeah, they're working. I like, was that's, that's what it was giving. Like,
0: yeah, <laughs> like. yeah. I know she's talking I about it. So <laughs> <Okay>. I forget <laughs> what they call it, but it's like the the real bad women get sent there. Yeah, I mean. it was Plus, like, like a
2: punishment. It was yeah. a punishment. Mm-hmm. You guys sent to like do some work in a polluted field and everybody was getting sick as hell. It was horrible. Because it
0: was like just super... It was like fallout from like a yeah. bomb or something. So it was like hella radiation and just all types of terrible shit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, pretty much the same thing. And that's like, what's getting. Yeah. You, we gonna <laughs> employ you in this plants, You gotta live here. Your kids gonna go to school here. Like they were just even talking about like the amount of children... That have, like, asthma and, like, eczema yeah. and, like, mm-hmm. different types of conditions like that because of where the prox- proximity to these plants. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. And then, yeah, with gentrification, you know, com- communities will complain about certain things. And then they're like, no, we're not going to do that for y'all. But then gentrification comes along and they literally do everything that the community been asking for and then push them out. Like, oh, we fixed it, but y'all can't live here no more.
2: Mm-hmm some bullshit uh, <laughs> yeah so i wanted to hear from our um doctor <laughs> training uh, Dr. Dr. Dish, on a, to really break it down for us kind of like obviously we've been talking about it already yeah. but like just like what are you seeing as like In this topic, um, this overarching issue of cancer rates rising for people under 50, like, what do Black people really need to be thinking about, like, with that? Like, what does this mean for us? What should our concerns be? What do we need to particularly be advocating and agitating around with this issue?
3: Yeah. So, um, and yeah, we've been talking about some of the examples of racism and racial capitalism um, throughout this conversation. But um, yeah, so, like, all of the um, cancer rising cancer rates we've been talking about talking about um, all impact Black communities more like across the board across like every type of cancer you look at there's going to be disparities in outcomes disparities in our access and quality of care. Um, and yeah, that all boils down to racism and racial capitalism. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really a systemic issue across time, historically and contemporarily. Um, we see it across levels. So Matthew, you um, and Mercy, y'all both talked about social determinants of health, which are related to the conditions where we live, work and play and age um, and are born and how those impact our health. And so Black folks, um, like you mentioned, Matthew, are more likely to be exposed to um, environmental stressors, environmental racism, and less likely to have access to health-promoting resources in our neighborhoods. So living in um, food swamps, like you mentioned, and um, not having fresh green spaces, more likely to live near um, I've been learning more about, like, noise pollution and just, like, single mm. o- single occupancy vehicles and how bad those are, like, for your health. Mm. And, Paula, you have mentioned, like, how um, with gentrification we're getting pushed out places that have kind of healthier transportation options. Yeah. Mm. Um, so those um, macro-level forces are all impacting our health. Um, but we also see how racism impacts us at like the institutional level and at that like healthcare level. Um, And a lot of folks like when they hear like medical racism, scientific racism, they may think of like Henrietta Lacks or they may think of um, Tuskegee syphilis trial, but there's so many examples of how that shows up um, in our present day. And we definitely Mm -hmm. see that across the cancer continuum of care. Um, so, Paul, you had mentioned, like, even before the step of prevention, like getting us into clinical trials um, and how black folks are less likely um, to be in clinical trials because of um, just centuries of medical scientific racism and like the inherent untrustworthiness of um, scientific health institutions making us um, less likely, um, understandably, to want to engage in that, um, in that space. I mean, I also mentioned health insurance as well. Um, from, like, the prevention side, um, so having, um, you know, due to racism, having less access to those, like, early detection mechanisms, the cancer screening, um, having less access to, like, health information around cancer. So knowing, like, how important like understanding our family history is and understanding like different um risk factors understanding symptoms um and when to get kind of initiate getting into care mm-hmm. um and then once we're in care um i know matthew we had um been on a project where we um like the data showed that black people Um, when we do get a positive diagnosis, we do get screening, there's a longer wait time for us to actually get into treatment. Um, And that, like, once you get a positive diagnosis, like, it's so critical to get into treatment, especially with something like um, colorectal cancer that is 90% treatable um, if it's caught early. Um, So we see a disparity in us even being able to get into treatment. Um, And lots of that has to do with, like, Health insurance, uninsurance, underinsurance. Um, we've heard several like personal cases of folks who are younger um, and you know are having symptoms and try to go to the doctor to get a colonoscopy or to get some cancer screening, um, and you know the provider denies them. You know that's mm-hmm. kind of tied to health insurance and coverage, but um, there's lots of examples of that. And then um, you know once we're diagnosed um, and we're in care. We get a lot of those like quality issues related to um provider bias and um having access, having less access to high quality health systems. Yeah. Um in Georgia, mm-hmm. we have like one of the highest rates of rural hospital closures. Yeah. Um and so, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there's so many examples like both from that like structural, like political, social conditions we live in and Um, once we start to engage in the cancer continuum of care that Black folks um, experience disparities due to racism. um, I think in terms of what can be done about it, Matthew, I know you mentioned like a wicked problem, like racism as a wicked problem, which is a concept that um, we talk about a lot and comes from Dr. Heather Kame and Derek Griffith um, that explain how, you know, racism as like an enduring Problem that's been ingrained across time, across levels, really requires like complex um, solutions. Exactly. So it's not a oh, single like oh, like eat healthy. <laughs> yeah. right. Like y'all it's need to eat problem. healthy.
1: <laughs> More broccoli. <laughs> exactly. Like it really needs to be
3: like, and we're not. You know, we're in public health. We're not trying to talk down on like individual behavioral health change <laughs> strategies, but those are those are one. That's one thing that can be done. And like Matthew mentioned, like there's so many contextual factors at the macro level that need to be addressed for those individual changes, the behavioral level to happen. Um so yeah, we really advocate for those multi-level changes, um, macro level changes in our social conditions across our life course from before we're born. <laughs> like that's like our cancer risk, like starts happening like neonatal, so um, across the life course, um, focusing, you know, even when we do focus on policy and those macro level forces, um, not just focusing on on, like healthcare policy, Mm -hmm.
4: Um, so Mm -hmm. not
3: just focusing on, um, you know, having more hospitals, better quality hospitals, like health insurance, which are also important, but also all those social policies that overlap with our our health outcomes. Um, but yeah, like we have so many like great partners that we've been working with, um, and we know there are organizations out there at the community level, um, advocacy groups and individuals, people with lived experiences with cancer that are um, actively advocating and trying to push the conversation forward and push um, policies and interventions forward to really mm-hmm. improve our, our cancer outcomes. Absolutely.
0: Man. This is why she's
2: going... This is why you're going to have the credentials. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just, like, educated us down. like
1: okay. <laughs> Dr. Dej be spitting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so important that, you know, as you mentioned, our, our solutions have to be multifactorial. They mm-hmm. have to be multi-sectoral as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you were talking, I was just thinking about why clinical guidance for colorectal cancer in particular, but thinking across all cancers um, hasn't been, and maybe just all health outcomes in general, um, isn't race specific given that Mm. black people just exist in different contexts. Mm -hmm. Poor people just exist in different contexts across the country. Mm -hmm. right? And like, you know, it would, you know, something that I've also been thinking about is, you know, how we center people who have the most risk.
4: Mm. Um,
1: And I think our, our policies should really be baseline at who it, who has the highest risk, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, if Black people are seeing higher rates of cancer, you know, in their 30s, then, like, screening for all people may need to start in their 30s. Yeah. But, at, but at minimum, I think the um, guidance should be separated for people who are at a higher risk. Mm-hmm. And right now, mm-hmm. the guidance is for people who are at a normal risk. Yeah, that's interesting. And not for people who are at, who may be at a higher risk. Right. And if you have a higher risk, you're just like... Mm-hmm. I have to trust my doctor who doesn't really know me. <laughs> I have to trust yeah. all of these other institutions who weren't built to actually support people who look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that may be something that we want to get more into is, is looking at clinical guidance and clinical policy and reimbursements um, and yeah, how people yes. get reimbursed for those procedures as well mm-hmm. as a means of intervention. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I like that. Mm-hmm. yeah. Multifactorial problems going to take multifactorial solutions. Mm-hmm. So
1: And time and money. So donate to Black Health.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Plenty money. <laughs> you said it so aggressively. <laughs> www.blackhealth.com forward slash donate. Thank you. Um well this is a great discussion, guys. Yeah, it was good. I'm glad all of us are in the same room again. Yeah! (laughs) It gets me the warm and fuzzy.
2: (laughs) Welcome back, Paula. Thanks. It was a long journey. My plane went (laughs) from South Africa, no, Johannesburg in South Africa to Cape Town. So that was like two hours. Then it went to, so people got off and on in Cape Town. And then the lady who got on next to me was very annoying. Hmm. Um, She like, Asleep, like so. Okay, we had like a three person row, but like no one was in the middle. So mm. I'm in the window, she on the aisle. I'm like, great, good, you can be over there. <laughs> and then she like kind of immediately started putting stuff in the middle seat. Like, who gave you oh, the middle seat? Oh, right. Like, I'm also here oh, and I was here before you actually because I got on in Johannesburg. Yeah. And so she started putting stuff in the middle seat, and then so she was already annoying me. I knew she was about to start getting on my nerves, and then of course. We go from um, Cape Town to San Juan, Puerto Rico. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So in that flight, then she started like going to sleep. And then like at one point, she was sleeping this way in the middle seat. Oh. So she's right here next to me now. Oh. Her head <laughs> was next to me. In your lap. No, actually, she started the other way. So she started with her feet. So then oh. I was already kind of like, you don't uh-huh. get your white feet. Uh, <laughs> she was, was barefoot. <laughs> She wasn't barefoot. She had her shoes on, but even still. Yeah, that's even dirtier. Yeah, almost worse, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just don't... Get get your whole foot, whatever's on it, away from me. Yeah. Like, so she got her feet on the seat, like, right here. She did kick me one time.
3: Absolutely not. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) And then... So then I think she saw I kind of got mad or something because I think I kind of hit her back. (laughs) And then... So then she flipped over and then had her head there. (laughs) So now it was like she was cuddling me like she was my baby or something. Like, get out of... get. Why is your head
0: in your right here?
2: Like... (laughs)
1: Face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out the size of this person. Like, how did they? i mean, has, she was she, like, how does she fit in the seat?
2: She was like crunched up, you know, yeah. like in a fetal position, but like no. had her pillows kind of leaned up again. I was like, she girl, brought pillows too? no, like the pillows that they give you, you know. Oh, okay, gotcha. But she somehow she them. had like four of them, so she was filling pillows. <laughs> Damn. Or yeah, she yeah. was hard. She in took, she yeah. took the middle seat pillow. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> so she was just all over the place. Her pillows was falling and. I was like, you know what? Like, you're, like, ruining the whole experience of not having someone in the
1: middle seat. Because yeah, now you're doing the right. in both In both seats, in both like, seats right. <laughs> right.
0: You two seats wide
1: at would, this point. I wish I had someone to separate us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what I was thinking. After I was like, actually, I wish there was somebody sitting here. Because <laughs> at least yeah. it would just be, a like, stationary.
2: Yeah. You know. So now we have to go to Puerto Rico to gas up the plane again or whatever, apparently they can't... Like, there's a direct Johannesburg to Atlanta. So I'm right. like, what is this plane that needs to stop for gas in Puerto Rico? <laughs> and so then we were at there for, like, four hours. Mm-hmm. Oh,
3: Y'all had to stay mm-hmm. on the
2: plane? Yeah. Oh, and oh. people were starting to get so disgruntled. Like, oh, sure. people were like, let
3: me out of here!
2: <laughs> it was, like, getting crazy. Like, like people started to, like, already planning the revolt. Like, niggas was forming, like... <laughs>
4: like (laughs) okay Okay, we
2: we need to talk about this and even like the the flight attendants like the staff like they were like very upset too like they had no answers for us they were also kind of like imprisoned on the plane like the rest of us (laughs) (laughs) it was getting real crazy like they was having to bring people water like this was mad and then we finally came to atlanta which is a three and a half hour flight so it was just such a journey i'm like please i hope that don't happen to y'all flight 'Cause I thought I did book the direct and right. somehow they started adding all That's other types wild. of stuff up in there. Yeah. So geez. the way my
0: anxiety set yeah. up, like they gonna have to, it's gonna have to be straight <laughs> through because once I take that Xanax, baby, it's a wrap. You're gonna sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't waking up.
1: We to just won't wake you up when we land.
0: No, you better wake me up when we land.
1: <laughs> no, if we if we land somewhere we're not supposed to land, just let Mercy sleep. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yep, I got it. I get a good twelve hours.
2: Speaking of though, we have an event we're planning in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, 29th of April, mm-hmm. we're having our the link up Johannesburg event. Um, so it's coming together. I'm very very excited. The whole team is going to come to Johannesburg. Um, so that'll be awesome. Yeah. Very very fun times. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're going to have a great event like connecting people to health services in Johannesburg um, musical guest. um, all of my faves <laughs> <laughs> from South Africa, you know, I hit them up. They're, they're going to be a part we're gonna like great DJ set list. And, um, of course, like mobile clinics, we're going to have a spiritual hygiene workshop, um, mm-hmm. yoga. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be really, really fun food trucks. Lit. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be very good. lit. So, <laughs> That's happening in April. So stay tuned um, for your tickets if you're out there and can make it. Or, well, if, you're or if you're here, here and
0: you, can you can make it. Know, I mean, I mean that's what I'm saying. If you get out up. there and can
2: make it. <laughs> <Yeah>. Pull up. <laughs> pull up, absolutely. And or um, <laughs> the content that comes out from it. You know, engage with that and just support us and what we're doing in South Africa. You also
0: donate to help us pay you, for
2: it. We could use that. <laughs>
0: So you're providing free services to the community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That costs money.
2: And we have a very engaged audience in South Africa. Like, people really fuck
0: with us out there. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I love to love. Yeah, April's a busy month for us. So we're also hosting two events in Georgia. Um, April 15th, we'll be in Atlanta. And then April 22nd, we'll be in Augusta, Georgia, hosting some great events around lung cancer, talking about prevention, treatment, screenings, testing, disparities, racism, all that great stuff mm-hmm. um, with our partners, Amgen. So shout out to them and shout out to us. and uh matthew do you want to tell us more about your event at the white house
1: (laughs) sure i was invited to the white house uh to speak about colorectal cancer disparities um i got to be on a panel with dr fola may uh, who's our advisor um and yeah really just hitting on a lot of the things that we talked about today right the importance of uh, tailoring interventions for Black folks, mm-hmm. ensuring that the community um, is involved in not only um, <clears throat> identifying the problem, but also uh, talking about how we get to a solution and get to problem solving. Um, but really just, you know, it was a great opportunity to to build the Black Health brand. Uh, I met some key partners that I'm excited to follow up with. Um, a lot of movers and shakers, you know, working in the colorectal cancer space. Mm-hmm. And I think even more importantly, you know, folks per- personally impacted mm-hmm. um, by colorectal cancer. Um, Chadwick's um, wife, Simone, was there mm-hmm. um, and gave a really compelling speech. Uh, we can link you all to the video of that. Um, really, just how urgent this problem is, mm-hmm. how it impacts people, um, and you know, really thinking through how we can mobilize all of these different partners to get things done. Mm-hmm. So we'll link the video to it. You can watch me talk about racism, as I love to do, um, and watch the rest of you know the folks working around the colorectal cancer space um, talk about their work. So very exciting. Yay.
0: Very
2: cool. cool. We'll put the link in
1: the notes.
0: <laughs> well, thank you all so much for tuning in with us. Make sure you tap in for our events. Uh, visit us, www.blkhlth.com. That is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We got a TikTok now, um, LinkedIn, whatever social media platform we on there, we got it, okay? So make sure you follow and drop us a note in the comments. Let us know what you think. What topics do you want us to talk about? And we'll see y'all next time. Bye. <laughs>